0: Hello and welcome to NSTA The Bus Stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I'm Kurt Mackison, Executive Director, here today with Becky Weber, Managing Director, Prime Policy Group. She's also the NSTA lobbyist. And last week at our fall conference in Key Largo, Florida, we did a Don't Talk Politics Over Lunch luncheon. And Becky presented then. We have a little bit more information now, Becky, but to start out, welcome back to NSTA, the bus stop, a lot happening in this past two weeks.
1: Thanks, Kurt. Yeah, this is a uh, Super Bowl season for us political people.
0: Well, the way the way this is elongated, it's more like Mardi Gras, right? <laughs> it's, right? Super Bowl, at least we have a victor on the Super Bowl yeah, Sunday, right? Sure.
1: Yeah, Even... it's like endless overtime.
0: <laughs> <laughs> endless overtime, Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess my first question for for you is just to give us initials, you know, status report, you know, we're a week in after election day, you know, as we're taping this, where do things stand?
1: Sure. Well, we do not have a finality on the elections. Uh We still have 20 House seats that have yet to be called and we have two Senate seats yet to be called. So, but we can at least extrapolate based on those outstanding races, we we think we can predict with a little bit of of fair uncertainty. nothing is ever certain in our business. but we we can certainly say at this point with the calling, let's just do the Senate first, with the calling of Arizona and Nevada over the weekend, the Senate will stay in Democrat hands. The outstanding races are in Alaska, which is basically a contest between two Republicans. And so that one will be Republican. And then the runoff in Georgia on December 6th after Thanksgiving really now will not determine the majority. It'll just determine if the Democrats have have 51 or 50. So that puts a lot less importance, frankly, on the Georgia runoff. In the House, we, as of this moment, and I just checked this before we began recording here, we are in the House at 212 Republican versus 203 Democrat, with, again, 20 races outstanding. Uh, Based on where those races are and the candidates, we Still think that the Republicans are likely to retain a very slim majority. Uh, majority is 218, and right now we're thinking 220, maybe even 219. I mean, the the slimmest one or two seat majority looks most likely, which is which is certainly not anything that. That anyone predicted uh, prior to last Tuesday. So it's it's been a real shocking, uh, shocking midterm in in terms of these results.
0: So, and let's focus in on the results. Uh, Typically, the House, the, the party who's not in control of the White House, typically picks up seats in these midterm elections. Correct. I recall, you know, with Obama, they lost, the Democrats lost sixty, sixty-three 63 seats, I think in the house. Right. In, mm-hmm. Yeah. In the midterm. So when you yep. look at these results, give us a little comparative on, you know, how poorly perhaps the Republicans did in these midterm elections.
1: Uh, just extremely defied all historical precedents. An interesting data point, I think, is if you just look at the historic midterm. It is since 1934. In most midterms, the the party that is out of the White House gains an average of 28 House seats and four Senate seats. And and this, I mean, that's an average. In the last, for the last three presidents, it was even higher than that. You go back to Bill Clinton, he lost 54 seats. Uh, President Obama, as you said, lost 63. And President Trump lost 40. And we're looking at a situation here with President Biden and this Congress of maybe, you know, six or seven, It very much an anomaly in terms of historical precedent and there's some reasons we can look into that maybe why this happened
0: so let's let's dive into that a little bit and then we'll talk about you know some of the things that uh you know we're gonna have to keep an eye on moving forward but let's take away what you know what are you know your top takeaways from the results
1: yeah, based on you know everyone, uh, and these were uh, these were pollsters and prognosticators on all sides of the political aisle prior to the election. Really, um, all the polling indicated that the economic issues, inflation, crime, and the border were priority issues for voters. And it it turned out after the election uh, that. Uh, abortion and democracy were much more important to a majority of voters. 60% of of voters said abortion was important and and drove a lot of their decisions. And 70% said threats to democracy. So that was really, I've heard some refer to it as, uh, you know, in 2016, if you go back to the 2016 presidential and really nobody thought that President Trump was going to win that election. But it turned out there were a lot of, of secret voters uh, for President mm. Trump that didn't want to uh, uh, share that with anyone, but went into the voting booth and cast a vote for, for Donald Trump. It appears, I, I've heard the analogy that we had of secret abortion voters, kind of the same dynamic, Uh, where Uh that issue was much more important to them at the end of the day when they're casting their vote than they were willing to uh, share publicly prior to the election. It it really does appear that that was a factor. The youth vote, this has been interesting. There was initially a lot of flurry that, oh, we just had an astronomically higher youth vote. Once we've dug into that in the last couple of days, we've discovered it. It actually wasn't Uh higher. It was it was about 12% of the total electorate, which is which is uh, the last normal. two minutes uh, have been 13, 14. So it was very normal. But the difference is that voters under 30 picked the Democrat candidates by 28 points. Um, so those young voters were not there in greater numbers, but they were there voting for Democrats. You know, way more than Republicans. So that that was a factor. The, the late close by the uh, President Biden with the democracy angle, uh, you know, appeared to be effective. There were very high numbers of voters who viewed both parties as extreme, <laughs> um, which <laughs> is I, I find found very interesting. The early voting this has been something Republican folks have been talking about seriously over the last week is that uh, Democrats dominate the early voting by 60-40 margin. You know, if you look at just the Pennsylvania Senate race, which got a lot of national attention, there were people voting in that race a month before the debate. And that Republicans, you know, generally speaking, Republicans don't like early voting. They tend to vote more on Election Day, whereas Democrats are more comfortable with it. And and the need, since early voting is probably here to stay, that Republicans will have to kind of get their act together and get more of their folks out uh, for early voting in the future if, if they want to reverse this trend.
0: So then there's also a phenomenon that's occurring again, and that's a Georgia runoff for a Senate seat. time between Reverend uh, Warnock and uh, Herschel Walker. And I guess maybe we'll start with your thoughts on this whole runoff situation. It happened two times in 2020, because they had a special election for one seat, and then the regular six-year term with David Perdue and John Ossoff, was a runoff as well. And most people may not realize this. And so the runoff is if you have to get 50% plus one to avoid a runoff. David Perdue actually, in, in, the, in the election, on election day, beat John Ossoff by 88,000 votes. But he was just a little less than 3% shy of that 50% mark. But then in the runoff, he lost to Ossoff, and I guess it's just two candidates at that point, lost to him by, you know, around 55,000 votes in in the runoff. So this time Warnock bested Walker on the Election Day vote. Is there a chance that the tide can turn for Walker in a runoff?
1: Well, certainly they're going to try. I mean, there was a Libertarian candidate that we've got 2%. They are sending, I believe, Senator Rand Paul down there to try to turn those voters, because that person will not be on this December 6th ballot, to Walker. You're seeing Mitch McConnell, the current minority leader who will remain the minority leader. I just saw that while he withheld contributing. And really, giving much support to Herschel Walker, he is appearing at a fundraiser for him here in Washington tomorrow night. So you're seeing, I um, mean, you're seeing Brian Kemp, the uh, governor who just won re-election, Republican. Uh, he is engaging. But I have to say, you know, those races, if you look back two years ago, determined control of the Senate, and they needed to win both of them in order to have it, and they did you do not, you're not going to have that dynamic this time. So I, I think that's going to hurt Herschel Walker in that, you know, even if he wins, Republicans will still be in the minority in in the next Senate. I mean, does does one, you know, in the Senate, uh, where one Senator has a whole lot of power, certainly um, Mitch McConnell would want to have every vote that he could, but it, because it won't determine majority, I think you can see turnout maybe not so not so uh, robust as as two years ago.
0: yeah, absolutely
1: there there is so, one other thing to add on this is interesting i I just turned this little historical note became aware of it this morning if Senator Warnock retains his seat the last time that no incumbent senator lost their re-election was night no incumbent senator right now no incumbent has lost their election and if he manages to hold on on December 6th the last time that happened was
0: 1914
1: so, 1914 a great year so that you know that's just another fact data point of how this election is really defying you know historical norms
0: although although the alaska race could throw monkey wrench in that because technically murkowski could lose her re-election re- bid right
1: that's true that that is that is true um i think a lot of people think she's going to pull that out i haven't done a lot of deep dive analysis on that one, since It's going to be right either way, but uh, yeah, you're right. That could affect that.
0: All right. So in terms of the election, you know, we don't have all the results in, but you have enough data at this point. How do these results impact uh, NSTA priorities of electrification, school bus safety, you know, and taxes, things like that?
1: Sure. Well, I I mean, I think um, if if the House indeed goes Republican. And the Senate is Democratic. The White House stays Democratic for two more years. I mean, again, historically divided government is generally more stable. There is less of an extreme agenda that can pass because you won't be able to get the same thing through both chambers. But the narrow narrow majority that it's going to be is going to make, you know, holding that majority together is going to be very difficult. I think generally, though, you will see that a Republican House will slow down um, some of the president's initiatives. You're not going to see, you know, tremendous expansion of electrification under this this political split. You're not going to see new taxes. You're not going to see anything as super extreme on the on the social agenda you're gonna see a very strong position on defense so it, in general I think what the the White House is going to be left with is doing a lot of uh, exercising their administrative and executive authority through executive orders through the regulatory process as we've talked about uh, which I think, Really, we will be spending a lot of NIST's time. You know, they've got two years to to exercise those muscles, and we can either uh, block them or make things really difficult uh, with a opposite party chamber. Uh, we did this a lot in the um, President Obama years uh, when we had split government. So I I would expect that's where most of uh, a lot of our action is going to be over the next two years is uh, regulations and executive orders being proposed and perhaps needing to go to the hill to slow or stop them.
0: All right, all very interesting. One last question, Becky, and you know how the cycle is now: you end one election and you're already gearing up for the next one. So, um, <laughs> and and pretty much. Uh, you know, a lot of data to crunch with this one, but we're already now focusing on these remaining House races and the 2024 election for the White House. So any thoughts on, on how these results impact 2024?
1: Sure. We always say the next presidential election starts uh, uh, on November 9th, but
0: <laughs> the day after
1: the election, I, I think this one is no different. Certainly on on the Democrat side, um, uh, you know, President Biden gave a press conference on November ninth and said he intends to run. But it, it will be a, you know, a family decision that, that he'll make sometime early next year. I think given the results, a lot of uh, Democrats think that he will Um continue to to keep his hat in the ring but there are others out there on the democrat side who who would like to run some of them uh you know if if the president decides to run for re-election there are some that will will get in the ring anyway and there are some that will defer if he if he does decide to run and that's a you know there's um quite a few on that list probably led by The governor of California, Gavin Newsom, who may put his hat in the ring regardless. And you've got a lot of candidates that ran last time that would like to run from, you know, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Senator Amy Klobuchar, um, Secretary Buttigieg. You've also got um, some cabinet secretaries, Gina Raimondo, some other governors, J.B. Pritzker from Illinois governor burshir from kentucky i mean there's a, a cast a, another cast of of quite a few folks who would like to to get into that race so we'll just really have to see i think so much will depend on what the president ends up deciding on the republican side we understand former president trump will announce his re-election bid tomorrow night from mar-a-lago um, but clearly, you've got to take a look at Governor DeSantis from Florida, who probably had the had the most victorious night for any Republican, um, really picked up traditionally Democrat areas, picked up gains in minority voters, both in the African-American community and the Hispanic community, you know, got suburban women. And so he's clearly probably the primary candidate right now that everyone's looking at, and it appears he would be willing to take on the former president regardless. Uh, There's also um, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. There's former Governor of South Carolina Nikki Haley. Uh, Former Vice President Mike Pence has kept his political operation going and went out there for a lot of candidates and would like to run again and several others. so it's it's going to be interesting. it'll it'll take a little time here in the next six to eight months, I think for all of it to shake out in terms of who's going to emerge. but definitely will be a lively season on both sides.
0: <laughs> all right. Lively, maybe an understatement, but we'll go with we'll go with that term right now, Becky. Once again, our guest at NSTA, the bus stop, Becky Weber, managing partner over at Prime Policy Group, NSTA lobbyist. Hey, Becky, thanks so much for taking a few minutes to give us uh, your insight. We may have to have you on in short order to go through runoff results and and control the house. Um, so we'll see how things transpire over the next week.
1: Okay, thanks, Kurt.